0: Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the In His Footsteps podcast by myself, Mikhail Ahmed Smith. This is a class exploring and studying the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam's beautiful character, how he interacted with people, and how he won their hearts. If you enjoy this podcast, consider donating to Qalam Podcast, inshallah, so that we can continue to do this work, inshallah. Jazakumullahu khair. Keep us in your du'as. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. Bismillah. As-salamu alaykum. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil alamin. Wa salatu salam ala Rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wa Don't pass it too far. Like, there's three subs <laughs> back. That stuff's expensive. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil alamin. Wa salatu salam ala Rasulillah. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I am so happy. That we are studying the life of our Habib Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Just because it gives, brings new intention to everything that we do Whether it be a smile, whether it be a dua, whether it be passing around itar or perfume We do it now with an intention that we're following the Habib Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And before we get into some aspects of the early life of the Prophet I want to remind you to listen with fresh hearts I want to remind you to listen with a heart that is eager to know more about your Habib wasallam. Your intention is to fall in love with him Your intention is to become in love with his Sunnah But here's the deal They describe the Prophet as such Sallallahu alayhi wa They say His heart was the soundest of hearts His, Sallallahu alayhi wa speech was the most truthful of speech And he was the gentlest of all people and nature Whoever saw him Now listen closely Whoever saw him unexpectedly would be filled with awe Like if you just caught him real quick You'd be like, Yo, who's that? But Whoever came to know him would fall in love with him. Now this is heavy to me why because I think some of us we get a little bit of stage fright when it comes to getting to know him better sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Like because of who we're approaching. But wallahi I promise us that as we get to know him more you just fall in love with him sallallahu alaihi wasallam. You just fall in love with him sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So in this halaqah, what we're doing is we're looking at his Shemael, what he was like. We looked at how he smiled. We looked at how he laughed. I don't know if you remember last week, they say if he was smiling sometimes and laughing, he would cover his face. Maybe you did that and you thought, wow, that's the sunnah. And I did it normally, but now I'm doing it with a different intention because it's the sunnah, it's the way of our Habib, sallallahu alayhi wa some of the things we're going to talk about are not to be acted upon, but simply appreciated. As we talk about what he looked like, Wallahi, my only intention is not that is only so we can see him in our dreams. It's only so that we can see him in our dreams. So I'm gonna begin with some of the descriptions of what he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, was like. The messenger of Allah would act, act tenderly towards his companions, soothing their concerns and inquiring about those who were absent from his gatherings. Meaning if you didn't show up for a bit, he was wondering, where were you? Where were you? Can you imagine how it would feel to have somebody hit you up and be like, yo, the Prophet was asking about you, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam meaning he he knew how to win people's hearts by letting them know that he noticed them. There was one time when there was a a woman of dark complexion. Is it still February? (laughs) Represent. There was a woman from Abyssinia who used to clean the masjid. She used to clean the masjid. And for whatever reason, when she, she, she died in the middle of the night And when she died The Sahaba, the companions They felt that they didn't want to trouble him Sallallahu alayhi Wasallam, And so they did her janazah They washed her body They buried her They even prayed on her And the next day the Prophet didn't see her And he says What happened to fulana? And they said, "Ya Rasulullah, Matafilay." She, she passed away last night. And the Prophet wasallam, got so upset. He said, "Why didn't you wake me up? Why didn't you? I miss her. I want to pray on her. I, she's part of our community." He noticed people. He would often say, "The Prophet wasallam, if he didn't see someone for three days or so, he would inquire." And this is beautiful. If the person was absent, traveling. He would supplicate for the person. SubhanAllah, when the common thing nowadays, if someone's not around, is maybe backbiting, the sunnah is when someone's not around, the Rasul would say, May Allah bless them. May Allah bless them. So he would ask. If he was around, he would go see the person. And if he was sick, then he would go visit him. The Messenger of Allah. He would always go to his companions with a smile, cheerful. Till each one of them thought that they were the most special person in his face, in his sight. Another narration tells us that the Prophet ﷺ never talked to anyone in a way that the person disliked. Meaning he never approached you confronted. In one narration, it says he would not confront a person with something they didn't like. In fact, if someone did something wrong, he would be very general. The narration says he would never say, what's the matter with so-and-so? Why is he or she doing this or that? But rather, he would say, man, you know, it'd be better if people didn't do that. Just so the person felt never felt attacked. When the Messenger wasallam, would see someone do something inappropriate, he would not allow anyone to rush to censor the person until he first taught the person with gentleness and care. wasallam. How many people, man, like, they just don't know? And we as a community just jump on them right away. Don't you know? What are you doing? The Rasul would stop anyone. If someone did something wrong, now here's the beauty. The Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he kept the bounds of Allah's deen. He kept that. That was his, his role, his responsibility. Our loyalty is to God first. But that means he would never push people away, but rather bring them close. And then another narration, before we start to look at some moments from his life, and another narration, it says, That the Rasul ﷺ used to say, and this is one of my favorite hadith. He used to say, let none of you tell me negative things about other people. I like to come out with a clean heart. Meaning, I want to come out to the community with a clean heart. So he's telling people, please don't bring your drama, don't bring all your, your garbage that's in your heart. Don't put that on me. Let me meet people with a clean heart. Some of us feel that I gotta let everybody know what this person did to me, how I feel about this person. Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, La, don't tell me. Because I want to come out and meet everyone. As-salamu alaykum, wa alaykum, salam, salamu alaykum. Salamu alaykum. Let's look at the Rasul in more detail. We're going to look at some moments from his life. Many moments that some of us in this room have heard since we were young. But remember what I said last week, we re- read the seerah over and over again because not because he changes but because we change. And the same story we heard once before hits us different. We are studying Muhammad the Bashar, Muhammad the man, so that we can appreciate Muhammad the prophet. Everything we're going to read about right now is well before he becomes a prophet. But why? why? I mean, we follow him as a prophet. What does it matter? Having converted from Christianity, I want to put this in perspective. Because I feel low-key Muslims don't realize the treasure that they have. Low-key you don't realize. Check this. If you study from the per- Christian perspective, Jesus, the Bible tells you about when he was born. Right? The three kings come and a whole bunch of stuff. Right? Then, the, then it goes blank for a while. Jesus disappears. His mother takes him to Misr, to Egypt, because the Pharisees are after him. They want to kill him. So he runs off with, she runs off with Jesus, and he disappears for a long time. He comes back once around the age of six or so, or 11, somewhere around there, and she's visiting family, Maryam, alayhi salatu and she loses him. And she's going crazy because... The Yehud, they've always been on to drama, man. The Yehud, they were after Jesus. They were after Jesus. Let's keep going, let's keep going. The Yehud were after Isa, because they knew that this man is a problem. So she's worried, I can't find him, where is he? And she's going crazy looking for him. And finally she finds him in the temple, seven, eight years old, teaching. I mean, teaching the depths of ilm. And she said, I lost you. Where were you? And he said, where would else I be other than my creator's home? This this is where I should be. So the Pharisees find out he's there. They, you know, she grabs him again. They go back to miss her. Do you know we don't see him again, alayhi salatu wasalam, till he's in his 30s and the mission starts? And then the whole gospel of Jesus that we have is from the age of about 30 to 33. What what I'm trying to tell you is that there's a slogan when I was Christian we used to say what would Jesus do? You know what we say? What did Muhammad do? Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You gotta guess when you don't have his life but when you have his life you just have to study it. They gotta fill in gaps because they don't know what happened. And so when I picked up a book and I, I saw who Muhammad was and I was like Age eight. Okay, deep. Age 12. Word? 15. More? 25. Wow. 40. 41. 42. 43. 44. 45. Up to 63. I'm like, look at the treasure we have in his life. So I want you to understand as we read through his life that we are blessed because we have the prophet's legacy right before us. And not only that. Not only that, as an African-American, you know how long I had to look at a Eurocentric idea, a picture of who he was? But here we have such a detailed, such a detailed breakdown of who he was. Listen to this. Listen with love. Listen to appreciate. Listen to relish. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Anas says, was neither excessively tall, nor very short. He wasn't very pale, but he wasn't very dark as well. His hair wasn't very, very curly, nor was it straight. He was of medium stature, with broad shoulders, a head full of hair. I know, right? Allah, you know what I find interesting? No matter who reads it on the brother's side, we all think we look like him. <laughs> you know, as you listen, you're like, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we look so different. But everyone in the room is like, yeah, you know. Sallallahu <laughs> alayhi wa sallam. It's so beautiful. His, his, his shoulders were broad. <laughs> I said that. Moaz was like, hmm. <laughs> his hair was, his, he had a full hair of head that reached his earlobes. He would grow it at different light, lengths. Um, they say that his, his head was, was, wasn't small. He had a larger head and his joints were full. And they, they narrate this. Again, there's nothing to imitate here. It's just to relish in who he was. You know, obviously in the desert they would work sometimes, they didn't always weren't clothed all the way. They say that he had a, a, a long line of hair that ran from his chest down to his navel. When he walked, he walked with purpose. He, he, he walked with intent and briskness with his walk. And it goes on and on. But again, the beauty of who he, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was. So what did we talk about last week? We began this story of the life of Muhammad with tribulation and calamity. Calamity one that we read was that Mata Abuhu, His father died before he was even born. He didn't have a chance to know who his father was. He only heard stories about who his father was. That's difficult. We read last week that when he was six years old, his mother said, we have to go to Yathrib, I need you to meet your relatives. We've all had that trip where our mother takes us to meet relatives we ain't never seen before. They pinch your cheeks and stuff, right? I don't even know who you is. And then you see them years later and they say, I remember when you was this baby. I I just want you to relate to his life. So he was six years old and his mother, who he loved so much, he said, I remember her so well. And she loved him because she remembered the blessings she saw when she got pregnant with him. She said, he didn't cause me any burden. The scholars say, because he was Rahmatulil lil alameen. How could he be painful to his mother? He was a mercy. She says, these are her words. I didn't know I was pregnant. I only lost my, my, my haid, my period. That's the only way I knew I was pregnant. I didn't feel the weight of him. Halima, she says that Remember I told you he had a foster, a milk brother and sister, Shayma. Ahalima says, Wallahi, Muhammad only would drink from one side and leave the other side for his sisters and brothers. As an infant, it was as if he was inspired with justice. That that's their haq, this is my haq. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So he goes to visit these relatives as we did last week and... He's there. He says, I learned how to swim there. Medina was fun. Apparently it was like Florida or something. I don't know. (laughs) He says, I learned how to swim in Medina. I had so much fun in Medina. But it was time to leave. You Can't stay on vacation forever. So we start to head back. And halfway between Medina and Mecca, in a place called Abwa, he says, my mother died. It was my mother, me, and Ummi Ayman. Ummi Ayman was a black woman from Abyssinia. And Ummi Ayman is someone, she was probably, what, 16, 15? She used to take care of him. Do you know throughout his life he used to say, he used to respect this black woman? He used to respect and love her. And he used to say, he Ummi Ba'da Ummi. That's my mama right there, after my mother. In a place called Abwa, this six-year-old boy, buried his mother. Ummi Ayman, she says, I saw him standing behind the thing she was laying on, and he was weeping. He was crying. Ummi Ayman picks up Muhammad and continues the journey back to Mecca. When they arrive in Mecca, they go straight to his grandfather's house. And we, we did this last week, but I want to put it in perspective for us. They knock at the door of their, his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. And the first thing Abdul Muttalib says, Where's your mom? And imagine that question after you lost her. You just had time to kind of start processing. And then someone asks you again, you, you know, like, and it brings it all back. Where's your mother? But we learn something here Despite the fact that we lose special people in life, we learn something That, as I said before Muhammad Wasallam had every reason to be a person that frowned his whole life He had every reason, every excuse To be upset with the world But he found a reason to smile at everyone That's his sunnah Abdul muttalib what does he do? Now, this is a lesson for me and you. Abdul Muttalib brings him close. The narrations are so beautiful. It says, This is so amazing. Kana li there was a, a special kind of like pillow, couch spot. You know how granddads be having a spot in the house? Can't nobody sit in? Abdul Muttalib had his spot. Nobody sits there. In the shade of the Kaaba. And he would sit there and his sons would sit around him, but no one would ever sit on that spot. But Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi Was he's a seven-year-old boy. And his grandfather knows this boy has lost everything. So I need to bring him close. He would come and he would sit on his spot. And all the uncles, the unks, by the way, hold up. I'm sorry to break the moment. I'm going to keep going. We'll leave it the uncles, they stopped him. They would stop him, get off granddad's spot. That's his spot, have some respect. And then Abdul Muttalib, he would come and he would say, leave my boy alone, leave that boy alone. And he would rub his head and his back. And he said these words, inna li bani hadha, la nah, this boy is special. The signs of the Prophet SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam were we're seeing slowly. And I want you to understand as we talk about some of the things that we're experiencing, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was preparing the world for this final revelation. Revelation is no small matter. Revelation is communication between the infinite creator of the universe. A universe that we can barely imagine. The communication of that infinite being to us, mortals. That is, is a, a phenomena in and of itself. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was preparing this world for that final message. So there's these flickers of light that keep appearing to get everyone ready for when the real light shines. So there were things that Amina saw. She's like, this boy is special. Abdul Muttalib sees a dream. What name should we give him? He goes, I'm feeling it's giving. (laughs) My wife been using that joint more often, so it's kind of. It's giving Muhammad. Everyone's like, that's different. I've never heard that. Muhammad means the one praised. Sallallahu alayhi wa And what's amazing is this boy would be special. He would be different. But where did Abdul Muttalib get this different word from? The flickers of light were preparing the world for when the light would come full blast. Abdul Muttalib takes care of this young boy. I told you his mother passed away when he was six. Eight years old. Allah reminds me and you that this life isn't the place to get comfortable. I'm going to repeat that. Allah reminds me and you that this ain't the place. This ain't it, y'all. This ain't it. This is temporary. So guess what happens at the age of eight? He loses the one who loved him the most. Abdul Muttalib. Abdul Muttalib tells... Abu Talib. Why Abu Talib? Because Abdullah, the father of the Prophet Sallam, and Abu Talib had the same mother. So he goes, you know what? You're going to have to look after this boy when I pass. If anything happens to me, he's yours. So the Rasul the narration says, Muhammad bin Amr al-Aslami, he says that Ummi Ayman says, I remember the day he passed, Abdul Muttalib. And I saw the prophet, eight years old boy, doesn't know his father, lost his mother, and now lost his grandfather. He says that um, I saw him sitting next to his grandfather, weeping, weeping, weeping. And he was buried in Hajjoon, This is still a cemetery till today. What all saw, Abu Talib had said, Abdul Muttalib had told Abu Talib, you got to take care of him. The lesson that we have here There's a lesson There's a lesson It's not story time It's reflection time The lesson is When it gets dark Know that Allah has something set up for you It will get dark It will get dark It will be hard No doubt If someone tells you it's easy They're lying to you Our deen has taught us Our prophet has set the trailblaze for us He went through calamity after calamity But know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Has something great for you Now let's move forward This young eight year old boy moves in the home. Look at the details we have, SubhanAllah. He moves into the home of Abu Talib, but guess what? Did he get his own room? Abu Talib had 10 kids. 10 other children of different ages in the home. He's living there, he's with him, but here's where we get our one deep lesson from he, him وسلم, as a man before he is a prophet. At the age of 12, he's having difficulty just being around the house. I got to do something. I got to be a part of helping this family. And this is what I want all of us to reflect on. Some of our parents worked hard, y'all. Work hard. Not past. Driving taxis, working long shifts. I can speak for my own mother, the hour she would spend standing on her feet. The Prophet teaches us something. You are not allowed to be a passive receiver of the efforts of those who are working hard to give you comfort. You got to take part in helping. At the age of 12, he goes to his Am, he goes to Abu Talib, and he says, I want to help. I got to do something. He says, what are you going to do? You're 12 years old. What are you going to do? He says, I'm going to go graze the sheep for the people of Mecca and earn money. SubhanAllah. Look at, look at the, the mentality at the age of 12. And your question, here's my question to me and you. How many of us are just walking in the home kicking off our shoes? You feel me, Maz? How many of us are just walking in the home just... Baba's got it. This is a 12-year-old boy in this feeling of mas'uli. I have to do something. I have to be a part of bettering the state of the people around me. And I'm speaking to the brothers and the sisters, everyone here. So he took the the job he could find. Anything. He found a job that Allah wanted him to have that we spoke briefly about last week, which was he was a shepherd. Now, this was the pedagogy, the education that God wanted the prophet to go through that his first job Sallallahu alayhi wa was he was a shepherd why? to care for the weak, to understand different temperaments to keep the flock together to protect the flock from harm, to help the flock find the nourishment they need despite the fact that they keep trying to run away and do their own thing, does it sound like me and you? does it sound like me and you? Keep running away, want to do our own thing. And the Prophet says, like, right here, this is what you need. Later in life, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to look back. And subhanAllah, if you talk to people who are in the dunya successful, they often look back at these first years and they be like, we grinded in those first years. We worked hard. I did a hard job. So the Prophet Sallallahu continues this job. He's around the age of 12. And for the next three or four years or so, he continues to do this simple job. Why? Because my uncle has a big family. And I can't, I can't just let him take care of me. I have to do something. He's teaching me and you that allow the life of this world to be your school. You're not feeling me on this. Hold on. Let me go to the next one. You'll get it. At the age of 15, he goes to his uncle. He says, uncle, I need to switch up jobs. I've done this for three years now, but we need to make more money. And his uncle's like, well, what are you going to do? He goes, well, I see you. You're in business. You're in sales. You're in trade. I want to get in business, sales and trade. SMU all day, right? I don't know. I want to get in business sales and trade. From the age of 15 to the age of 25, a portion we're going to cover tonight, the next school of life that the prophet is being taught through is the school of trade and business. The first job, he dealt with sheep of different temperaments. He learned compassion and care. And the next job, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants him to be a man of business and trade. I heard one scholar say, he said, what is the hikmah? What is the lesson? What does Allah want Muhammad sallallahu Alaihi the man to learn that is going to help him as the prophet? One of the scholars, he says, um, you know, you know, people in sales, like, uh, let me be real today. I probably met like two people I ain't know since yesterday. The whole day, like going to the store shopping, I probably met like a a person that I didn't know the day before. Everyone I saw today I knew for the last like six months, eight months, 10 months, whatever. But people in sales, how many people do they interact with? Too many, too many. And, And one of the scholars says, حَتَّى يَتَعْرَّفَ عَلَى شَخْسِيَاتِ الْنَّاسِ يعني, the beautiful thing thing about being in trade is that the Prophet ﷺ was being taught about how to recognize the different temperaments in people and how to understand people on a deeper level. Man, you walk into like the car dealership, they already peeped you out. Like, yeah, you buy and used SUV 30,000 miles. Yeah, that's it. And you're like, how'd you know? Why? Because... They're dealing, and this is so beautiful. He first learned compassion. Let me keep the flock together. But then the next job was a job that required him to deal with thousands and hundreds of people over and over again and to understand them on a deep level. So we meet few people. The Prophet was interacting with so many people. How does it affect? I need you to truly appreciate this. The Rasul was learning in this part of his life, fiqhun nasi. The fiqh of people. Hold on, let's stop here, hold up. The Prophet ﷺ is going to be given a message really soon, y'all. And that message has to get to a certain spot. It has to get to the hearts of people. That means you got to have the key to open up hearts. You got you to have the key to open up hearts. The Prophet wasn't a mailman that just left it in front of your house. If you like it, take it. If you don't like it, he worked with you. He worked with you. He understood you. You don't believe me yet. I'll give you an example. Rukhana was a wrestler. You know the story. Rukhana was this guy in Mecca who was known for wrestling. He was, that's all he did. The Prophet saw him one day and he used to avoid the Prophet. He's like, I don't feel like talking about religion, man. So the Prophet would we'll be walking and be like, I'm going the other way. The Prophet him cut him off. Hey, what's going on? SubhanAllah, wow, here he is, here he is. Let's talk to me about religion. The Prophet wasalam, says, No, I don't want to talk about religion. Let's wrestle. Word? Yeah, 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 yeah. Let's wrestle. I'm telling you, subhanAllah, the first thing he learned is just the compassion for creation. Keep people together, keep them, love them, care for them. The next one is just understand people. Why? Not to manipulate. But to elevate, to elevate people, that's the objective. Some people understand people, but the only objective is manipulation. The prophetic understanding of people and why we study people is to elevate people. So open their hearts to what is good for them. So Rasul Sallallahu Alaihi he says, Rukhana, yeah, let's wrestle, bro. I liken this to the imam that's got a good jumper. If the imam got a good jumper, oh man. All the shabab coming to Juma. <laughs> I was with a few muftis. I was with uh, who was I with? Last weekend I was with Ubaidullah Evans, Ustad, and Mufti Abdurrahman from Miftah. Now Mufti Abdurrahman has a big turban on. Looks like he just got off khuruj fi sabilillah. And y'all know Ubaidullah Evans. We finished the program and they cleaned it up. It was in the gym. Well, what do dudes do when the gym gets cleaned out? Where's the rock? He saw the ball, and uh, Abdurrahman is like, Ubaidullah, let's go. Yeah. Y'all won't believe who won. <laughs> I'm going to just leave it at that. I'm going to get, oh, they're going to see this video, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> the imam that has the jumper speaks the language of the people, and this is Quran. <laughs> Allah says we never sent the Prophet except they spoke the language of the people The Prophet was made to be a businessman because he dealt with so many he had to learn different people I'll give an example one more before we go forward Adi bin Hatim You have to look deeply at his life to appreciate how he uses understanding to elevate people Adi bin Hatim was the son of Hatim al-Ta'i I got to give you the backdrop because you got to know who we're dealing with Hatim al was the richest man of the Arabian Peninsula. He was, he was so rich that if you wanted to just joke that somebody's rich, you call him Hatim. That's Hatim right there. That's how wealthy he was. Adi bin Hatim, Adi bin Hatim finally he you know, gets the tawfiq to come to Medina, and he's considering Islam, considering it. The Prophet وسلم, goes and meets him. He walks to him, and he shakes his hand. And the first thing he says to him is, I was waiting for the day my hand touched yours. I would have been done right there. <laughs> You've been waiting for me? Allah, I'm done. That's easy. You got my heart. Adi's still a little, you know, I'm not sure. So he grabs the Prophet ﷺ, grabs his hand, and he begins to walk with him, holding his hand, showing how close they are. And while they're walking, an elderly woman stops him. I shared some of this before. She stops him and she starts talking and talking. And the Prophet Wasallam, he cared about each of the sheep in the flock. So he just sat there. Mm-hmm. Yep, auntie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Adi is like, man, this is a big guy politically. How does he have the patience for this? No leader would do this. She finishes talking. And one of the most beautiful things that I read about who he was, I want us to walk away from this night truly understanding who he was. The narration says that the Prophet wasallam, if you reached out his, your hand to shake his, he wouldn't let go till you let go. I'm here for you as long as you want me to be here for you. I'm here as long as you need me. Until you let go, he didn't let go. Until you turned away, he didn't turn away. alaihi. Wasalam. They go home They're in the masjid outside the Prophet's house Adi says we were sitting talking and he's giving me dawah Adi's a big person in society All of a sudden a, a, a man walks in He comes to the Prophet وسلم, And what does he do? He's like ya Rasulullah It's dangerous out there I just came from such and such There's no safety The Prophet sallam He looks at Adi Adi is a man of wealth. His assets need to be protected. And he cares about the general welfare. The Prophet wasallam, looks at Adi and he says, trust me, the day is coming when a, a person will travel from Yemen all the, way up to, all the way up to Syria and not fear anything. He's giving him assurance. He never said anything. Adi was like, man, that's bad. Then, then another man, a few moments later, another man comes in and he starts to complain about poverty. The Prophet says, sees Adi, this is a man of wealth, he's concerned about his assets being secure. The Prophet looks at Adi and he says, you know what, this man is complaining about poverty, but I tell you the day is coming when the Muslim Ummah will have so much zakat, there'll be so much wealth, there'll be no one to take anything. Inshallah. Inshallah. Listen, the beauty I want you to understand is, he was looking inside Adi. What I want us to get from being a shepherd to trade for Abu Talib, from these two moments, the Prophet ﷺ is in the school of life The school of life Learning from what life has to give us What I want us to take away from that Is whatever Allah is putting you through There's a deeper thing you need to learn Let me break it down It's going to hit you with this one Yusuf ﷺ is a prophet of God You know his story Beautiful story Ahsan al-qasasa Right? The be- most beautiful of stories Now check this One of the scholars they say He was he was captured and put into slavery And he was put into the house Of the Aziz Azizu Misr The house of the One of the main ministers of, the, the, of Misr But he's a slave Do you know that one of the scholars they said It was because of what he learned in that house That years later When the Pharaoh is having a problem He says <laughs> He says oh I could do this job I learned this already Where did he learn it from? What I'm trying to tell you is that you may be in a place in life where you're the most upset that I'm here. But Allah's like, you don't understand. There's a lesson here that you're going to be so happy you learned down the road. There's a lesson you got to learn in this moment. Joseph was a slave in the house of the minister. But that slavery allowed him to, when the moment came, become the leader of Egypt. I can solve the economic problems of this country. Where did you learn that? You won't believe the story. Where did you learn that? You won't believe the story. These prophets were put where they needed to be to learn what they had to learn for the jobs they had to do in the future. The same with you. Now, the question is, will we be able to pause and allow ourselves to learn from the moments that we're in? The other thing that the Prophet ﷺ taught us Is that business and trade teaches you the reality of people Meaning, true colors come out True colors This was a man who had to learn people And people who had to learn who he was Because before he becomes a prophet We need people to know who he is Listen to this story. One time, Umar radiallahu ta'ala an, a man came to Umar. This is a well-known story. A man came to Umar, Ibn Khattab. And he's like, you know, there's a situation and, um, you know, I have this issue. And Umar said, well, I need a witness. I need a witness for you to bear testimony that you're an upright person. So he goes, all right, no problem. I'll bring someone. This man goes and gets someone and he brings them. And he goes to Umar ibn Khattab. He says, uh, yeah, I, I know this guy. I know this guy. He's a good guy. Ana a'rifuhu. Faqala, Umar ibn Khattab says, How do you know him? Qala, he's like, He's a good guy. Adala wal He's fair and he's virtuous. Umar says, Is he your neighbor? He lives next door to you? You see him in and out, you see him pull out his driveway. Middle of the night, where are you going, bro? Like, Do you see him? You live next to him? He's like, no, I don't live next to him. He goes, oh, okay. Umar ibn Khattab says, now this is the point I want you to highlight. He goes, Do you trade? Are you a business person with him? Have you done business with him? Meaning either traded with him or been a partner. The craziest thing is that a partner of yours in business knows you inside out. They know the deepest parts of who you are. Because when money is on the table, people change. And so your business partner knows when you tell a person, yeah, I got it for 20 bucks. He's like, no, we ain't get it for 20 bucks. <laughs> but it's okay, we're going to split the profit anyway. So. Rasulullah, Omar ibn Khattab says, have you done business with this man? He goes, la. And then finally he says, ah, have you traveled with him? See, I was talking to one of, a friend of mine. And he was like, man, if you take these long flights, like overseas, and you sitting next to somebody, and if you start talking, man, by the time that flight lands, you, you know that person inside out. 14 hours on a flight back home somewhere, and you just start talking, you know the person. Can you imagine back in the day when they would travel months, time for hajj? That's why the word suffer, this is interesting, the word safara in Arabic means to open something up, to reveal. And they said that's because when you travel, travel it reveals who you truly are. It shows who you truly are. Why am I bringing this up? Because we find a beautiful story about the Prophet life when in this time of being from the age of 15 to 25 as a businessman. It was Fatih Mecca. Oh man, we're just going into the future. It's Fatih Mecca. It's the conquest of Mecca. This is the day. And Sa'ib, his name is Sa'ib, He was brought to the Prophet. He says, Uthman bin Affan brought me to meet him. Uthman bin Affan thinks the Prophet doesn't know who this man is. So Uthman bin Affan begins to explain, He starts to praise him. Hey, Ya Rasulullah, you know, this guy Sa'ib, he's a great man. He's this, he's that. Rasul Sallallahu he stops Uthman, he says, لا don't tell me about him, I know him. Everyone's like, how do you know him? He says, he was my business partner back when I was 26, 27. We were in business together. Now, subhanAllah, for many of us, if a business partner from when we were 26, 27 came in the room, we're like, man, please keep it low key, man, I wasn't the best person. Rasul says about this man, listen to what he says. He says, He goes, Yeah, Ya Rasulullah, it's me. And he says, You two were such a good partner. Remember, you got to understand how well partners know each other. He said, uh, The Prophet said, Oh, Sa'ib, you know the akhlaq that you used to have back in the day when we were doing business? Take that same akhlaq and put it into your Islam. That's beautiful, a lot of us who convert or even just have a new birth of Islam. You were born Fatima, but you know, you kind of came into this. You had beautiful qualities in you. Just keep those and put them into the deen. Put them into the deen, just add that on to the deen. So he says, he says uh, Unzur look at your character that you had in Jahiliyyah and put it into Islam. You took care of the guest, you took care of the orphan, and you were good to your neighbor and then sa'ib says to the rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam marhaban bi wa shariki cuz he knows him from before everyone around him knows him rasul sallallahu alaihi wasallam he's like i know you from before so he says marhaban welcome my brother wa my partner and then he says these beautiful words la tadari wa la tumari. you know you never cheated anyone and you never argue, it, argue with me. I want some of us in business in this room to think about your own partner saying, Wallahi, well, this man never argued with me once. That's, that's, that, it speaks to who he wasallam, was. At the age of 20, the school of, of life is teaching. Allah wants him to learn certain things. So guess what happens next? A war breaks out with the Quraysh in another tribe. It was called Habul fijar the war of treacherousness because it happened in the haram and in the sacred months. The Prophet ﷺ has to learn what he's going to need for the future. And this is what I want you to understand throughout this whole series. The scholars say there's two sides of the Prophet ﷺ. There's the, there's the Jamal of the Rasul, the beauty. But then there's the, the Jalal of the Rasul, the awe, the strength. Like when Muaz heard his broad shoulders and he's like, "Mm." there's the beauty and the awe. Rasul ﷺ wasn't weak. He was strong. He was courageous. Real quick, it was the battle of Badr. And I don't want to stay out of the order, but we need to appreciate his strength too. Ali says, when the battle of Badr kicked off, the Prophet ﷺ was the closest to the enemy and we were behind him like, but he was the closest. Courage, strength. So at the age of 20, the Rasul ﷺ, he tells us post after, he says, a war broke out. I was about 20 years old and I participated. He says, I used to shoot arrows and because I was younger, my my uncles made me pick up arrows that would fall on the ground and then clean them and give them to them so that they could shoot arrows. My point is he was a part of every aspect. And there's one more thing I want to talk about, which is a beautiful segue to just us in our world today. There was a man, a Zubaydi man. Zubaydi is a tribe. There was a Zubaydi man. He came to Mecca. Mecca is a place of trade and tra- uh, trade and, and commerce. He came to Mecca in order to trade and do business. He had a deal with a person by the name of As bin Wa'il. He gives As the money for the merchandise, and As stiffs him, meaning he doesn't pay him. And he's like, I don't know you, who are you? As asks him, hey, I, I Paige, can you please, can we finish the transaction? He goes, I don't know you, I don't know you, I don't know you. And he walks away. This Zubaydi man starts to go around the different tribes of Mecca, and plea for help. I need help. I need help. I need help. Please help me. And everyone goes, who, who, who? Aspen, why? Oh, I don't know him. Much like today when someone who we know is wrong is doing something, but it's that, them doing it. It's them doing it. So it's not that it's, it's, we got to ignore the wrong. Whole world knows, whole Mecca knows that As is wrong and he's committing injustice. Clear as day. But everyone is putting their head in the sand because us is doing it. Things don't change, y'all. That's why we study Sira, so we can get encouragement. What happens? This Zubaydi man has enough. He goes on the top of jabal abi Qubais, which is interestingly the same mountain the Prophet will go on 15, 20 years from now and give the call to Nubuwa. He goes on the top of the mountain and he starts to recite the most beautiful poetry. He says, Ya Ali Fahr, bi O tribe of Fahr, he's talking to the Quraysh. What about the oppressed person here in the button of Mecca that doesn't have any house or people? Muhrim, I'm in the state of ihram. Ash'ath, my hair is disheveled. Lam yaqdi umrah, I haven't even finished my umrah and I got cheated. Ya lir Rajul, I hope someone near the Hajr al Aswat in the Hijr will help me. Inna al Haram, inna al Haram, this Haram, this place is supposed to be a place of honor. There's no honor in this place anymore. And that's how we feel about the world right now. Where's the honor left? What happened in that moment? Zubair bin Abdul Muttalib, the Prophet's uncle, he hears this and he stands up and he goes, That's enough, y'all. He goes to all the tribes. He gathers them together in the house of Abdullah bin Jada'an. And in that moment, they make a treaty, a pledge, that we will always stand with any oppressed person against the oppressed, regardless of who the oppressor is. Man, don't we need that again? Regardless, I don't care who it is. And the beautiful thing, I want you to understand how the busher, the man Muhammad became the Prophet Muhammad There came a time when the Prophet was talking about stealing. And he said, Oh Fatima, save yourself. If you steal, the had will be on you. Fatima, his daughter, his most beloved. Meaning, I've learned from this moment that wrong is wrong and right is right and the believer always stands where it's right. What happened? They, they signed the pledge. Everyone got up and they rolled deep to As bin Wail. They grabbed the stuff from him and they give it to the Zubaydi. What's beautiful though, and why scholars talk about this moment till today, is that the Prophet wasallam later in life, he used to say, لَقَدَ شَهِدْتُ فِي دَارِ Abdullah bin I saw a day in Abdullah bin Jada'an's house. We signed a treaty. Look what he says: "Ma an naam I wouldn't trade anything. Meaning, nothing in this world can be traded for justice. If see, here's the deal: There's no price tag on justice. There's no price tag. You can't buy it. Because whatever, how high you put it, you're still a sellout. There can't be a price tag on justice. He says, I wouldn't trade the world for that treaty. Meaning, I would give everything to be in that moment. And then he says something deep, which is good for me and you today. He says, وَلَوْ دُعِيَ bihi fil Islam." And as a Muslim, because he wasn't Muslim here. Well, he wasn't a prophet at that moment. Right? He always believed in one Allah. He's like, if I was called to this in the time of Islam... I'd still sign up for such a thing. The scholars say about this, this tells us that don't, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it be a disbeliever or a believer, to pledge and be with people that will stand for justice is something that the Prophet Sallallahu is telling us we need to be a part of. And that brings me as we conclude our session in these last five minutes, we all understand how, how much injustice we are witnessing. And we have all felt helpless, not hopeless, we felt helpless. But we as young Americans, and I'm speaking to a room of average age of what, 25 I think, we have to be a part of change. We have to be a part of change. We have to show this country that we're not okay. We have to do whatever we can to show the country that we're not okay with what's going on. And so, This weekend, there's so much going on, just from the perspective of of primaries ending. Roll up deep, bro. shawls on, stickers right here. Be a part of that. Show this world that you've crossed the red line, and the red line is the red blood coming from our brother's veins. Be a part of the change. Do what you can. I don't know how you do it. There'll be people that are way more educated in the political arena to tell us how to come together. This weekend, there are rallies. A number of them, I got message of them, I'm gonna share them all on my socials, show up. But there's also a part to politically show, I'm not okay. And in some of our areas in Dallas, we roll so deep, so deep, we could push people out of office. But we like, oh man, whatever, it don't matter anyway. La. La. There are people in other countries that wish you had they had the ability to do what you have, which is put your, your name on something and say, nah, I don't roll with this person. So be a part of that. Where, however it is. There are rallies this weekend, there's primaries that are ending soon. Be a part of the change. This moment right here was a moment from when the Prophet was being taught to be on the side of justice. And he said, when it came to signing treaties with people who aren't even Muslim, if they're standing up for what is right, count me in. And that's what I wanna share with you as we end. We are learning about this beloved man, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa My hope is that if we don't get anything from tonight, we just said sallallahu alayhi wa Allah. If that's all you got, alhamdulillah. But if for a moment you felt closer, if for a moment you felt love if for a moment you felt you knew him better that's all we need subhanaka wa bihamdik nashhadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun al mursalin walhamdulillahi rabbil alamin